reading this morning will come from the book of Haggai, chapter 1, the verses 1 through 6, and then skip down to verses 14 through 15. In the Pew Bibles, it starts on page 831 and 832, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come, the time that the Lord's house shall be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses, and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider You eat, but do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to... They begin building the, the temple in verse 14. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us, again, we welcome you. Thank you so much for being with us. And 23 hours from now, we will have an exciting place with hundreds of children. Uh, many of you that are here now will be here tomorrow. And then probably 100 or 200 more from the community will be here. And what a wonderful opportunity it will be for our youth to learn more about Jesus Christ and to learn how we can be powered up through Jesus Christ. Uh, to come and to be with us, not just during Vacation Bible School, but all year long. And that, what a wonderful way uh, to encourage the community than to reach out to the lives of youth and let them know that we love and we care about them. Uh, be sure that you're planning on coming tonight for the ice cream supper immediately following services, as that'll be a time to just kind of kick off Vacation Bible School. And young people, don't forget, today is the day. If you haven't already, be inviting. Be letting your friends know that you want them to be here. Also, uh, we say Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. What a tremendous blessing uh, fathers are in our lives, and especially godly fathers. And uh, many of us have more to be thankful for than we can almost count when we think about the blessings of our fathers. Breaking with tradition this morning, only for the sake of timing as we look at the calendar, we will address more this morning, instead of thinking about our earthly fathers, today we're going to think more about when Jesus spoke about, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. And we're going to talk about a very pressing business, if you will, in the Lord's kingdom that's taking place right now at Mount Juliet. We just had so capably read for us a beautiful passage out of Haggai. As we think about what was taking place at this time, that Haggai spoke these words to Jerusalem, it helps us to understand more the, the words themselves, if we understand the background. If you'll go back in your memory, you will probably remember that Babylonians came in and they overtook Jerusalem, and they just pretty much razed the city and even destroyed the temple. 
And during that time, Nebuchadnezzar also took many of the Jews back into exile, and they stayed there for 70 years. But during that exile, that empire itself lost control. Cyrus came in as a Persian emperor, and he took over them. Now, this empire was much more fortunate to those of Jerusalem and to the Jews. And so under Cyrus, they were allowed to go back to Jerusalem and start working on their home and start working on the temple. And if you want to do further study on this, what we're studying this morning also lays down as a parallel passage of also Ezra in chapters 1 and 2 and those passages in there. But we know something that stands out when we start doing an in-depth study on this. They went back, and now we're reading in Haggai, the first chapter, that the king in Persia, in verse 1, is Darius. That lets us know that about 18 years has transpired. Now, many of you have built your own homes. Maybe if not with your own hands, some of you have with your own hands. But others of you have had your house built. You have bought a lot, and you've purchased... Uh, you uh, have hired a contractor and you've purchased the materials and, and you know what it is to go through the building of construction. Many of you are here whenever this building that we're in right now was constructed. And you, you know what it is to see a building go from just a vacant lot to a foundation to actually a roof. And we know that that takes time. But did you notice 18 years and what did the text say here? Let's go back and let's read verse 2, 3, and 4, and even 5 again. And I want you to think about this 18 years that's transpired as we read these verses again. We're in Haggai 1. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, This people says, The time has not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. What's the Lord going to say about that? He speaks through Haggai the prophet in verse 3, and now we read it in verse 4. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The Lord cannot accept the fact that individuals would be so concerned about their own homes that they would make sure, and here the idea of a paneled house is more of an enclosed. It has to do with a ceiling, with a roof. In other words, the Lord is saying, over these 18 years, you made sure that your house, not only the foundation was there, which is what the temple had at this time, but He said you made sure it had walls, you made sure it had a roof, you made sure that your house was just what you wanted it to be over these last 18 years. But He says the Lord's house... You say it's not time to start on the Lord's house? And the Lord is saying, it's past time to start on the Lord's house. But instead of just saying to them, why don't you just get to work on it? Instead, He says, why don't you consider what's taken place in your life over the last 18 years? Verse 6 he is led into it with verse 5 saying, Consider your ways. Notice this list of things as he says here in verse 6. You've sown much. Well, surely if they've gone out and, and they've sown so much in their fields and they've gone out and sowed so much effort into their buildings and etc., surely they have much. And what the Lord is saying, just look around you. 
Where's your prosperity? If you've been working so hard so that you could have more, where's your extra? And you see what the Lord is showing them here. He's showing them He's not going to prosper this group of people because they haven't been prospering the Lord's work. And so He says, you know why you've been sowing so much season after season and you've been reaping so little? Because my temple is still in ruins is what He's implying here. He even mentions the second phrase in verse 6. You eat, but you don't have enough. In other words, where's that extra bins of food stored up so that you can say, you know, we have plenty of food laid back. We're ready for a famine. We're ready for a rainy day. He says, you eat, and yet there's not enough for you to just keep eating. In other words, he's saying to them, you're barely getting by. Same thing about drinking. He says, you have drinking water, but yet you're not satisfied. And then he finally says, you have clothes, but you don't have extra clothes. You don't have clothes to keep you warm in the winter nights. And then he really drives the point home in the next one. He says, you're out earning wages, but you're putting that money in a bag that's just like a bag that has holes in it. Have you ever, especially perhaps in your youth, filled something in a bag and you didn't know that the bag had a hole in it and when you arrived at your place, you looked through there and, where is it? You know, many of you that play baseball and softball, you try to pull that liner whenever you miss that ground ball. You know, the, instead of looking at yourself, you always look at your glove like it has a hole in it. I remember walking home from an old country store one day and, and I had a gallon of milk in a bag. And of course, on the way home, the bag, the, the bottom of it ripped out and I lost the milk. You see, the point is we can relate very easily to losing something over a bag having a hole in it. And the Lord says, for 18 years, you've tried to sow so much. You've tried to make sure that you had so much food, so much water, so much clothing. You have made so much money, and you don't have anything to show for it. Your bag has a hole in it. In other words, the Lord is telling them, I've not allowed you to prosper because your timing is all wrong. What was wrong with their timing? Did the Lord want them to live in a cardboard box and have the Lord's temple to be beautiful? No. Notice, nowhere in here does He say, I'm against you having a house. Nowhere in here does He say, it's a sin to have that paneled roof on your house. It's a timing issue. In other words, it's an issue of priorities. Why is it that you've taken care and very good care of the things that belong to you, but the things that are of the Lord, you've let them go completely undone? Today, we can study this as a parallel passage to where we are at Mount Juliet. Not everything is parallel. I wouldn't suggest to you for a moment that the people at Mount Juliet have left the Lord's work undone. So that's not at all the parallel application today. But when we talk about it being time, we can learn a valuable lesson today about timing. I want you to consider your house with me for just a moment. I know that as we talk to a group of people that the application cannot be perfect for each individual family. So please bear with me as we think about this for just a moment. Because the bottom line is that the Lord, before He talked about their His house, He wanted them to think about their house. And when they saw the condition of their house and then saw the condition of the Lord's house, it was somewhat an embarrassment. And He's saying, we need to get things in order. Now, we know that today the Lord's house is the church. 
If you'll notice, any time that I put an announcement in the, bull, in the bulletin, or even verbally make an announcement, I never say that something is going to be held at the church. I just don't feel good doing that. Because that's not a fact. We're not going to have vacation Bible school tomorrow at the church. It's going, the location is going to be the church building. We, the people, make up the church. But, let's think about this for just a moment. Who owns this facility? It doesn't belong to me, it doesn't belong to you. This is the Lord's facility. So if we want to talk about who owns this building, the Lord owns this building. So now let's think about just a minute the building that the Lord owns here, and let's think about our own home for just a minute. Many in this gathering, if a guest was coming to your house, you probably wouldn't have to move anybody out of their bedroom. You probably have a guest bedroom. Many of you do. Now let's think about the Lord's house for just a moment. We barely have room for guests in the Lord's house. Let's think about also the dining room. Many of you, all of your family, can sit down and eat together, can't you? You may have an eat-in kitchen that's large enough. And if you have guests to come over, you even have a dining room that you can seat some people in the dining room and some people... You know, we can't get close to sitting down and eating together. I've talk to some of you since the time I've been here, and people say, well, you know, I used to attend a congregation that once a quarter we had a meal together after Sunday morning services, and most of the church stayed. It'd be neat to do that, wouldn't it? Most of us live in houses, we can do that. Most of us can sit down and eat together. Most of us can invite people to sit down and eat with us. But you know, in the Lord's house, we can't do that here. There's just not any room that gets close to being large enough for us to sit down and eat together. Most of us have a place that we can park our vehicles. We don't have to park out in the street and worry about the new codes that Mount Juliet is enforcing recently that that the cars can't stay on the street overnight. Most of us, that's no problem. We may have a garage and it may be a place for a car or it may not be, but that's our problem. But, uh, you know, we have a place. We have a place to park our vehicles sometimes inside. And if not, almost all of us would have a place to park our vehicles outside. And, you know, we never have to say to a visitor, hey, we would like for you to come to our house Friday night for supper and we don't have a place for you car, so we'll pick you up, and, and we'll bring you to our house, and we'll take you home afterwards. Most of us have a place that, that people can park their vehicle, and you know a lot of people today have what they call a bonus room. You just look through the listings in the real estate, and that's a very common thing to have a bonus room. You know, that's the extra room in the house that when the family wants to get together or I know sometime when I've been to devotionals at some of your houses, oftentimes those devotionals are in the bonus room. Isn't it wonderful to have an extra space, an extra room where something can be done? Did you know there's not one extra room in this whole facility? That's not exaggeration. There's not one. There's not one room that's not being used for an exact purpose. There's no such thing as an extra room in the Lord's facility in this place. As a matter of fact, most of us in our homes have several closets. Several closets. Have you ever thought, could you have too many closets? Too, many, too much storage space? I've never heard anybody say, I don't like this house, there's too many closets. We could put on almost three hands, but definitely three fingers, but almost for sure one hand the closets of storage that we have in this whole facility. We've had to clean out several storage areas and make them into classrooms. Isn't it amazing how much most of us have in our own homes that the Lord's house 
just doesn't have. One reason why the Lord's house doesn't have it is because the Lord's people in Mount Juliet have been working so busy over the years to reach out to the lost, to reach out to people that move into the community and say, come. You see, if we were the size that we were back 15 years ago, we'd have plenty of parking, we'd have plenty of seats, we'd have plenty of closets, we'd have bonus rooms. And so again, I emphasize to you, the problem is not that the Lord's people haven't been doing anything. The fact is, the Lord's people have been very busy, and now we find here in Haggai, in verse 2, here these people that were not diligent for the Lord, they were saying, it's not time. And the Lord comes along in verse 4, and He's saying to them, it is time. This morning, I want us to see together as we study from God's Word that anytime people go through moves and through growth, there is always going to come a time that we have to own up to the fact this is where we are today and we need to do something about it. I hate to give this illustration because this is the kind that come back and bite you. But for about a year and a half, my family has been talking about, well, since, ever since we moved here, almost five years ago, we moved into a house that was one bedroom smaller than what we wanted. And so we kept saying, one of these days we'll add on one bedroom. One of these days, one bedroom. Well, two years ago, my daughters corner me, and they say, Dad, we've talked about it long enough. It's time. It's time. Lacey's saying, Dad, you only had me for six more years. We need to get on this bedroom. It's time. It's time. I know that. And we're trying to get some things in the work to say, you know, it really is time for another room. The Lord's work is at the point at Mount Juliet that the property that we've talked about purchasing, it's not even close to being a luxury. Is at the point where it's time. I want you to consider with me some numbers for just a moment. And as we look at these numbers, I don't think anybody here, we need to look at these and gloat. Anything that's reflected in these numbers, it's because God has blessed this congregation far more than we ever deserve. Numbers like this reflect God's opportunity and a strong eldership reaching out to the potential that God gives them. And all of that to God be the glory. But if you will notice this growth, I want you to think with me for just a moment. You'll see that there are some numbers that are highlighted. And these are just simply average attendance figures of Sunday morning since 1988. If you will notice, there was probably the greatest growth that this congregation has ever experienced from 88 to 89. It was amazing growth that year in this congregation from 329 to 384. And look how it remained steady even in 1990 and even in 1991. But notice what happened in 1992. There was growth. But you have to go all the way down to 1995 just to average the growth of one person per year for those four years. Now mark that in that first column to the left. The first four years, there was growth of over 100 people. The last four years in column one, there was growth of one person per year. What was different at Mount Juliet from four years to four years? When I talked to folks that were here, 
at that time? You were doing the same things. You were doing things the same. You were doing them well. I only know one thing that reflects the lack of growth those four years. The old auditorium just wouldn't hold any more than around 450. You see, there's an 87% rule. 87% rule, and that is that a congregation will not grow beyond 87% capacity of its auditorium, of its seats that are available. When we plan special days, and I promise you I haven't played with these numbers, okay? When we plan special days, and several of us have sat down together and we've planned these days, and we always say, how many will the auditorium hold? We have usually kicked around the figure and said, in just the pews, around 725 people can sit in the pews. And then after that, we can set about 150 or so chairs, and we can get the number, even with a few more chairs, up to 900 in the new auditorium. What do you think 87% of 725 comes out to? Hold that thought for just a moment. We go to 1996, and we see that we had growth from 95 to 96. Why growth then? The new auditorium hadn't been built yet. Two services were underway. It made available seats for people. And even the first part of 97, the auditorium wasn't finished, but it made seats available for people to sit. So the growth continued in 97. And then especially when this new auditorium was available, the average that year was 512. Now, note how a congregation that sat idle, I don't mean in works, I'm just talking about in growth alone, but a congregation that had sat idle for four years, all of a sudden now is growing again as seats are made available. And so we come to 549, a good growth in 98. Then in 1999, we see a year of transition uh, for the staff, and that probably has much to do with the reflection in 1999. But then we go back to 2000, and we see steady growth again. 564, 607, 2002, 628. What happened in 2003? I remember us thinking in 2003 that things were just going so steady and so strong. Let's just keep doing the same things over except let's do them a little better. And that's the way we went throughout 2003. And why all of a sudden did we have the growth of one? Why? What's 87% of 725? 629. So as we sat down that year and addressed reality. A committee was put together to say, show us really where we are. We found out what we just discussed a few minutes ago. There are no bonus rooms in this facility. We're inviting people to come to a place they cannot park. This morning, if we were only on this property of 1940 North Mount Juliet Street, which just a few, year, just a few months ago, that's all we had was 1940. This morning, we have 47 more cars than we have parking spaces right now. This morning, we have above our average attendance for the, for the year up to this point, but we have far above 87% capacity with 683. You see, the point is really very, very simple this morning. And that is, it's time. And it's not just a numbers game. I'm going to flip through some pages, and I'm going to try to do this in just about a two-minute time period. 
And my goal is not to read a certain name. My goal is as my eyes fall down on this page, I'm just going to mention a couple of names. Because I've heard people say, as they look at charts like this, they say, well, that's just numbers. What does it really matter? I would say in 88, it mattered to Robert and Lil Tucker as they came here. Those numbers mattered to them. As Ronnie and Twanda Travis and James and Katie Whitaker came in 88, I would say it mattered to them that we cared as a congregation whether or not we were growing. In 1989, I would say it probably mattered to Tim and Terry Thompson and Jim and Marge Gregory that this congregation was allowing individuals to come in and grow and be a part of it. In 1989, as Marvin, Marvin and Lydia Nixon came in, and in 1990, as James and Carol Keff, along with their sons, which now one has grown and read scriptures just a few minutes ago. And uh, 90, also, Miss Ann Craddock coming, and Tina Mount, and the Basses. Also in 91, Alan and Sandra Smith, Frank and Juanita Hazelwood, Phyllis Pippen. In 92, Michael and Janet Hayes. Wayne and Betty, Randall Farrell was baptized. In 93, Jeff and Lisa Brown and Dora Forrest and, and the Penix. In 93, Greg and Michelle Myers and Jim and Sherry Pugh. In 94, Gene Pig and Doug and Sharon Perry, Eric and Tammy Pirtle. In 95, Mark and Tammy Wolf and Gary and Lori Richards. In 95, Mark and Donna Crisp and Mary Jo Flat. Seven, Mark Williamson. In, in 97, Doug and Sharla Williamson. In 98, Randy and Camille Nations and Buford Burchett. Uh, Nick Nance and Kevin Mann and his family. In 99, uh, Jerry and Candy Flannery. In 1999, Bruce Bowles. Now has already gone to his reward. He was baptized here in 99. The Baldwins, Jack and Betty Stanford in 2000, John and Rose Kennedy, who now are going, he's back to school for full-time uh, ministry. The pa- uh, Herman and Palestine Ramey, Tim Martin was baptized. In 2001, Jack and Bonnie Cronk, Miss Bobby Chandler, Art and June Steffi, and also in 2000, was baptized into Christ. Also in 2001, Phil, Tom Naughton were both baptized into Christ. The Bankses. Johnson, Elizabeth Evans, Tim and Jackie and Debbie Walker. Which one of them do we just want to say it's just numbers? Let's not make a place for them. Which one? Which one do we want to do without? These are our brothers and sisters that we love so much we would die for them. And that's not exaggeration. Friends, this isn't our church. This is the Lord's church. 
And it's our place to worship and to serve and to glorify God in this place. And He gives us a commission to reach out to the community about us. And one of the responsibilities that we have is to make this a location that people know from the time they enter their car into the driveway that they're welcome, that we want them here, that we love the Lord and we love them. It's time. Many have been praying over a year. Lord, we're landlocked. Help us to find the opportunity to buy land about us that will give us room to grow. And I kind of just sitting at my desk the other day, just kind of not laughed out loud, but big grin and, and kind of an inside laugh as I thought. Several of us prayed for almost a year. And we checked with every person that bordered us. And isn't it interesting that the Lord said, oh, you want to expand my church at Mount Juliet? I know you need parking. Let me go ahead and give you over 70 parking spaces because if you buy somewhere else, you're not going to have that built in. And I know you're needing space. Let me give you the building that already has close to 6,000 square foot available at this time. Our God is an awesome God. He provides our needs. And we have the opportunity to keep ourselves from having a debt that's so great, a monthly responsibility. We can whittle that way away tremendously. As we move this lesson to a close, I want you to think about this. When I think about adding a bedroom onto my house, I don't think about a few hundred dollars. I know it takes thousands. When I think about any kind of modifications and remodeling, I know that you don't think 50 and 75, you think several hundred or several thousand. As you think about what you're going to give to God this next week, Will you please think about that this is the Lord's house and it's time. The truth is, if every family could give, God asks no more than what you can do. We ask no more than what you can do. But if every family sacrificed as if it was their own house that absolutely was in dire need of these things, we wouldn't just raise 100000 that day, we'd pay it all off that day. Will you consider strong? As we close out this lesson, we think about the spiritual family. We weren't saved to walk alone. We were saved to be a family, to come together and worship and to help each other day in and day out and to have God working in our lives and us working through God and everything. If you're not a child of God, if you're not adopted into His family, a part of His church, you're robbing yourself of the greatest blessing that could be. And it's the same theme that we've been talking about. It's time. The easiest thing to do is use the excuse that the people of, in Haggai's day used where they kept saying, it's not time, it's not time. Satan will tell us it's not time. This morning in your life, stop saying to the Lord, it's not time, and start saying to the Lord this morning, it's time. 
I want to be a part of your family. I want to be saved. I want to be a part of your kingdom. I want to help my neighbors learn more about you. It's time that I get serious about my relationship with God. And if we can help you this morning, encourage you in any way, if you need to talk to us in a private setting, if we can help you right now, we'll have a song of invitation. If you want to be baptized into Christ, or you have been a Christian and you want to confess sin and repent and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, it's time. Come as we stand, as we sing.